Hi, my name is Chris Sharp, and welcome back to another edition of Disney Minus. We have a special episode this week. We're recording our first Pixar review. Um, Mason Ford calling in from Phoenix, Arizona, and uh, we're doing Monsters, Inc. So here we go. So me and Mason Ford just watched Monsters Incorporated. Uh, the movie came out in 2001. It was released by Pixar. It, its budget was $115 million, and it made $577.4 million. So if you haven't seen the movie, I'm sorry for you. You should see every Pixar movie, even the shitty ones. But uh, in this one, Sully is the top scare at Monsters Incorporated, um, you're basically thrown into this world of only monsters, and the way they get power is by scaring young children. He lives with his best friend, Mike Wazowski, who's this little green guy. Um, pretty fun little character, Billy Crystal, shout out. Um, but their rival, Randall, who's this slimy little lizard-looking thing, is one day illegally kidnapping children. He has this plot to, like use this new type of machine on them. Sully and Mike end up kind of trying to destroy this plot. They find out it goes all the way to the top to Water Noose, who's the CEO of Monsters, Inc. Um, Sully, during this time, kind of realizes children aren't evil, and he gets a rapport with Boo, the children, the child that uh, was kidnapped. And, you know, you get some laughs, you get some yucks, and uh, a lot of cries in this one. And at the end of the day, you know, the good guys win, the bad guys go to jail. And uh, now I'll go to my co-host, Mason Ford. Um, we just finished it, Mason. What Can't you let go? You know, it's it, this is a great movie. It's uh, they, they bring it all together, kind of like you said. There's a lot of laughs. You have a good time throughout it. Um, lots of ups and downs. But the biggest thing I can't let go is what what are Boo's parents thinking? Was it? How how long did this take? This, this had to have been over multiple days. Missing person report filed. What's you you just don't know what's going on there, and I, I can't let that go because it seems like she was gone for quite a long time. Uh, to, to just go back to normal, you know. Um, yeah, I like really struggled with, I had that written down as well. I said, parents don't know she's gone. I mean, all the events in the movie kind of take place. It seems like in almost like a two day period, but still two days when you have like, what is she three or four, like two days is a lot. And they're just like, her room is untouched at the end. When Sully puts her back in her room is untouched. It's like they're scout. It looks like no one scoured her room for evidence of like a kidnap or anything. That's what I was like, where's the police tape? How are there? How is there not so much more going on? Yeah, no, totally agree. I think that that was a, a incredible detail where nothing's been moved. They didn't, it, it looked like no one had even stepped into the room to check in. Um, and so, I mean, that's important. And I think the other thing I thought about is as they're going through all these different doors to try to get to her door, um, there wasn't a single kid in their room at any, I just feel like the, the, uh, chances of that are, are, have to be, have to be low. You, you gotta, or they should be high is what I should say. They, there's a chance you run into a kid if you're going through multiple doors. Oh, for sure. I mean, they, they're just in France, and apparently there's no children in France. <laughs> Another thing that I had that was, like, really kind of just on my mind kind of the entire movie was, okay, so the concept is is that they think children will, like, kill you if you touch them. But yet 
water noose and like there seems to be a level of disinformation with the general public where like uh Roz who apparently is like the head of the CDA is aware and everyone else is aware like oh children aren't going to kill if you touch you so who started this lie when did it begin and do they just do it to justify making children scream by torturing them i don't i don't know yeah the uh i think that was definitely on my mind too where um it seems like the higher up you are in society, the less worry you had about what these children do and like the power they possess. It seemed like um, there was the scene where the news reporter is talking to the people on the street, which is hilarious, and they have this these ideas that they can shoot laser beams and just like the most red, just the most redneck dude of all time. Exactly, and I think it's a reflection of society as you. Um, you kind of have more you have more power or control or whatever it seems like the information at the top was exactly what you're saying they didn't seem to be as worried about um these children mason ford is hot take of the day uh pixar's monsters inc a communist manifesto <laughs> i don't know man it's just uh Hey, I just call it how I see it, you know? You know, down with the upper class. That's what we say here on this podcast. Um, another thing that was um, really kind of bothering me or I was thinking about. So Sully's like trip down the mountain is like kind of this big, like, it's a big thing. It's like, oh, it's going to take you three days hike. He sleds down the whole thing in like 20 seconds, which is whatever. But then Mike just gets there and gets in like super easily. Like, what's Mike's? I want to, can I get like a... Lion King one and a half situation where this where we just see how Mike got from hanging out with the abominable snowman to just being in the factory again. Yeah, I, and um, maintaining multiple snowballs during that trip that was kind of um, eye opening for me. Of how how do you maintain that? And luckily he had them to help Sully. But yeah, you know, I didn't even think I didn't even think about that honestly. That's a did he have a cool maybe he brought a cooler i don't know maybe monsters inc keeps their ac really high we just don't know right yeah totally agree okay so now mason if you had to sum up this movie as a one one word theme to this movie what's your what's your one word theme i think my one word theme would be loyalty Ooh, that's a that's a good one that's a good one and i think it's for multiple reasons um cuz loyalty plays a role in different ways. There's loyalty between uh, Mike and Sully. There's loyalty between Sully and Mr. Waternoose. And um, there's all these different loyal. And then Sully and Boo. He's very loyal to to her and protecting her. Early in the movie, you see where uh, they get the door for Randall, or Randall gets the door and. He can just put her in there and can end the whole mess, but he realizes, like, hey, this doesn't seem right. Um, so there's a lot of different dynamics of loyalty that, that go on and um, tests of loyalty. Uh, Sully's really loyal to Mr. Waternoose at the beginning, but realizes he's not the person he thinks he is. And then, obviously, Mike and Sully are loyal to each other, even though they go through some tough times. And, um, that's what comes out in the end. Yeah, you know, we got – I wrote down – Mason Ford, if you don't know him, he's a big Drake fan. Uh, my one-word theme is actually two words. I just wrote know yourself, uh, know yourself, know your worth, basically. Um, my whole thing was watching this movie was, you know, Sully 
uh, he's kind of obs- he's work obsessed. You know, he has no personal life, and that's kind of introduced really early in the movie when Mike's like going to dinner with his girlfriend, and he's like, "What are you gonna do, man?" And he's like, "I'm gonna go work out." And it's like he's kind of work obsessed, but that's not you know that's not what's going on inside of him. He's got a lot more to give than being a good scare. And by the end of the movie, you know he's kind of come full circle, and he realizes, hey, I'm not just a scare. I can take this company in a whole new direction. I can have a really dynamic relationship with Boo, where she thinks I'm funny, she thinks I'm charming. Mike, like he's got a great friendship there. I think it's just about knowing yourself, you know, and uh, not being one dimensional in your character. I think that was my big takeaway. Yeah, that's good. I like that a lot. I think I noticed that too, where um, you know he's this dynamic character and he has a lot of different great attributes, but he sees himself as I'm this good scare. I'm like, I I like to work and work hard, but he's got a lot of other good um, qualities to him. How does working out help your scaring ability? That's what he was doing, like crunches, like on the door. I was like, okay, like I get it. Like, you want to like probably look beefier if you're a monster. Maybe that's more intimidating. But at the same time, I was like, he's like, I'm gonna go work out. It's like, what are you gonna? What are you, could you possibly be doing on like a Wednesday? Night? Yeah, maybe it's just the uh, the mental sharpness and the routine of it all. You know, you don't want to break routines. You want to stay on your game um, and kind of allow yourself to to be at the top of your profession. I mean, we got to remember too. He's chasing history at this point. He's chasing the all-time scare record. I mean, he got to be obsessive to hit those kind of scare numbers, you know. Especially at that point in his career, he's still in his prime, you know. He's chasing he's chasing records early in his career. Yeah, and that's uh, something I had thought about as well. Is he's he is one of the greats, and and this is this is a high level industry that he's in. Um, one thing I did think about was the they have the leaderboard up there, and obviously he's working at a high level but i looked at some of the other names that were on there rant and lucky are in third and fourth what's where are they at in comparison you know you see the numbers but you don't quite know what they mean um if we're talking like nba are these elite guys as well that just aren't getting kind of the the lebron recognition if you want to go that way with it you know, it could be it could be a situation. You know, you kind of look at like Will Chamberlain's numbers. This is a sports podcast, but you look at some of these older guys' numbers. Kids were probably terrified in the fifties of like a butterfly coming in their room. You know, I don't know if we can compare scares from different eras. You know, oh that rhymed. Um, that, shout out to rhyming. Um, I'm really proud of that rhyme. Uh, but I think I think the numbers are tough. But I think Sully, like you said, is a uh, is one of the greats. Uh, so with a Pixar episode, we're going to have a couple uh, special Pixar categories because a lot of the previous categories we've done during Disney movies just aren't applicable to Pixar movies. Um, there's really nothing racist, fascist, or sexist usually going on in a Pixar movie, and there's no original songs for the most part. So uh, one of our new special Pixar categories we're going to talk about is tear jerkers. So if you've seen Pixar movies, you know that they they get you. They get you to cry every time. So we're gonna talk about some uh, some scenes that brought a tear to our eyes. I'll uh, kick her off. Um, you know what? I think Sully and Mike in uh, the Abominable Snowman's Cave is actually like I didn't really remember how emotional that scene was. But they're sitting there and he's like he's like I'm never gonna get to see my girlfriend again. Like doesn't that matter? And he's like Don't I matter to you? Like we've been best friends and like roommates forever. I don't know. It's like. It was a very emotional scene between like two best friends, and he just wants to be heard, and Sully's just kind of not hearing him. So that was one that I didn't remember really being a tearjerker. I think there's 
clearly like the end scene where he's like putting boo back in the room that's like your cliche one that everyone remembers but that one i was like holy shit like this one hit me hard yeah definitely and i was i was trying to look for something that isn't the that final scene um and i think exactly what you're saying like in the cave that's the test of loyalty of like what are you loyal to and and kind of going to what you say like knowing yourself of how do we how do we find a solution in this this crazy time so um but yeah we should definitely talk about the last scene that's it's powerful it's so powerful um and i was fighting back tears today yeah i mean it's it's definitely one of like the most hardcore i mean pixar has a lot of hardcore hardcore tear jerker stuff i mean just the beginning of up alone is like one of the saddest things i've ever seen in my life but i think that this one just because a lot of pixar's like sad stuff doesn't always happen at the end of the movie usually their endings are more uplifting but this one i mean that's one of the last scenes of the movie i mean i know he gets you know mike fixes the door and he gets to open it and that's kind of like your hey like it's not all sad but him like saying goodbye to her is like one of the last tastes you have in your mouth and to just do that after you've seen their relationship grow and then to see it collapse like that i think it's obviously it's obviously the saddest part of the movie yeah definitely and i like i would rank it pretty high on pixar tearjerkers just the way it hits you um but I think another another part is what you just mentioned is Mike actually going out of his way to build the door back. That's a pretty that's a pretty emotional thing too. Of like that's a, that's a that's a great that's a great point. Honestly, that is a that is talk about a good friend. Yeah, and he's like, you have to have all the pieces. He's like, I went through all the wood. He's he's got the the injuries to to show. So um, I don't know. I think it's a a combination of like all those dynamics coming together. He knows that Sully really cares about this this girl and he really cares about Sully and so I think another thing that's I don't know if it's like tearjerker but it's just kind of sad is when Sully's like he's kind of in a rush and he's trying to tell Water News like hey Randall's doing this giant conspiracy theory and Boo kind of sneaks in the bed and he's like come on scare him like show these kids like show the recruits how to scare and he like does the roar and you see Boo's face just like she cries and this person that she's like come to like know and love she realizes he's capable of like this terrible thing and she runs away and he immediately like him watching back that replay and being like did you see her face like the way she looked at me I don't know that kind of slapped me a little harder than I was prepared for yeah, no, I agree. I had that written down too, of where uh, he's he's starting to see like what he's really doing, and that was kind of a question at the beginning of like, is this an ethical business that they're running? You know, is this like a good way to go about it? And obviously, that's addressed at the end. But um, yeah, when he sees himself back on the tape, it's like heartbreaking because not only did he just scare her made her cry but he's also like seeing what he looks like when he's doing his everyday job yeah you know i think he's never i think part of that is he's never really had to live with the consequences like the long-term side effects of what a scaring does psychologically to a child so if we're gonna like psychoanalyze him yeah i think he's finally like oh shit like when i scare a kid like this fucks them up in the head a lot and like especially when you actually care about someone, you know, and that's a good, that talk about a good message for kids. It's kind of like, Hey, see, like once you get to know someone and like you do something mean, there's way more consequences, which I mean, obviously these movies are made for kids and Pixar is great at kind of getting messages through. And I think that's a really, that's a really strong message. 
Yeah, definitely. I think that's something that you uh, you grow to appreciate watching it back as a 24-year-old, and um, you obviously enjoy it as a kid, and you kind of understand some of the concepts, but they really you see how great of a job they did like hitting those home. For sure. Pixar, Pixar shout out to the goats. Um, so Mason, uh, best adult joke. You have any, you have any adult jokes written down? Oh my, I'm, I'm sure we're going to go back and forth on this category. There's, I have a ton written down. Um, the abominable snowman is hilarious with the snow cones and they're lemon flavored. Um, I think another one is, um, that I had written down was when uh, the monster that had the uh, twenty three nineteen on him originally, he's like finally getting back into the game, and his uh, his teammate picks out a door for him. He goes, "We got you an easy door. Um, it's in Nepal, nice, quiet Nepal." And then slowly comes busting out because that's how he gets back into the monsters world. And I just thought that was hilarious. Yeah, I I, th- I absolutely love when yeah he just like shoves the sock down the sock, shoves the sock down the guy's throat like basically just chucks him into Nepal and just like rolls out like I got a huge kick out of that. Um, another one, basically anything Mike Wazowski says, I think is like it's definitely for like the parents because like especially in two thousand one, like Billy Crystal was like that generation's like dude he's one of the best comics and still is one of the best comics ever and uh just hearing him talk like at one point i wrote down he's talking to Sully and he goes look at you you have your own climate like i laughed really hard at that um there was a couple other things like randall choking sullivan and uh mike comes up and he's talking to him he's like he doesn't know randall's choking him because randall can camouflage and he's like come on you big luck he's like if you start crying I'm going to start crying. And he just throw, he's like, come on, listen to me, you jerk. And he's like, oh, like that's hilarious and definitely more of like an adult joke. Yeah, I love that. I was uh, cracking up during during that scene because he's just so oblivious to everything that's going on. Um, I think another one is um, when the when Boo first enters and there she's in the apartment and um, – he says that thing is a killing machine and she's like just dancing around being cute and i thought that was hilarious um and then another one is they're trying to come up with a plan to get her back and uh mike is going through the list of things and why they're not working and he's like naming the plan he's like giant catapult too obvious he says giant wooden horse too greek i can't win (laughs) just little things like that are Hilarious. The two Greek thing is hilarious. Um, I also thought a lot of like r- shots at rednecks in this movie kind of just sprinkled throughout. And, like just like uh, we already kind of talked about it, but when the news crew's going around, he's like, "You have like this really uneducated person being like, he brought me up with his laser beams." And then at the end, when they chuck Randall into like apparently like Florida Florida Panhandle, and he's just like in a freaking like shed and they're like mama we got another gator and he's like get the gun and they're just like beating him up like that's hilarious yeah i love that the, the news reporter had me cracking up because it's literally exactly <laughs> how it is in real life where i saw him fly across the sky and it's they've all got the, the southern accent going um yeah I, I definitely enjoyed that part and then um we can obviously talk about the um the stand up at the end 
when they transition into comedy instead of scaring um mike's bit is hilarious he uh <laughs> he's he's coming with his best stuff he said ah so you're in kindergarten best three years of my life and doesn't get anything i, I love that yeah, I love the like self-deprecating, like oh, just like a stand-up bombing, because like you know, I saw this movie came out when we were six years old. So do the math, what year we were born. But um, this movie came out when we were six, and like I'd never seen like a stand-up set. I mean, that's clearly like just our parents, where he's got like the little stand and like the mic, and he's kind of bombing, and then it's like, okay, like no kid's gonna get like a joke like that. It's not funny as an adult. Like it's funny just because he's bombing, but. Then when he does, like, the physical humor and you're like, oh, kids, like, appreciate, like, injuring yourself and all the ways he has to make a boo, like, laugh by just, like, at one point he, like, basically falls down on his groin and he's like, oh, her eyes were covered. I'm sorry. And he's like, what do you mean her eyes were covered? And, like, everything Mike's doing is just when he's trying to be funny is amazing. Yeah, definitely. I I also love the joke at the end. He said, oh, yeah dodgeball i was the fastest one out there i was the ball of course <laughs> that's a that's a that's such a great joke oh my god i love that um now we need to bring in someone's got to keep the lights on in this place so we're going to bring you a little word from one of our sponsors today's episode is brought to you by the child detection agency you ever been worried that a child's going to murder you in your sleep well don't worry the child detection agency has got you covered donate now uh, now, next, our next category we're going to do is, this is another Pixar original category for this podcast, um, most relatable character. So for me, it's it's pretty obviously Mike, um, who doesn't have a shitty best friend who's obsessed with a girl and's always ditching you. Like, that's honestly what I wrote down, because I was thinking about it, and I was like, oh, like, everybody's had a friend at one point in your life where they, like they introduce a girl into their life and all of a sudden you don't exist. They don't hear anything you're saying. They become obsessed with her. I think Mike's pretty relatable in that aspect. What do you think? Yeah, definitely. I mean, um, everybody's got a little, little Mike in them, you know, how they, uh, interact with, uh, their friends and, um, especially his interactions with his girlfriend. He's kind of that, um, you know, um, what's the word I'm looking for? He's, like the baby talk and the schmutzy poo and all that kind of stuff. You know, everybody's got a little bit of that in them. We got a giant liability on our hands when he's with his girlfriend. That's for sure. <laughs> yeah, no doubt. Um, I think the most relatable character though, is probably Sully as far as, um, kind of how you, uh, grow to love things or, or grow to, see things in a different light that you may have um seen differently and kind of like we said learn more about yourself as um you go through difficult times or challenges so you know what hot take hot take randall's kind of relatable who's never felt underappreciated where they're at feel like everyone else is always getting the shot you're trying to i mean he's kind of piece of shit but i mean he's trying to help save the company i mean it's a terrible way but i mean he's out there and he's one of the top scares of all time too i mean he's he's neck and neck and yet the dude that's slightly above him is just getting all the love you know he's like the curtis martin of the scaring industry you know great stats just underappreciated in his era yeah, totally agree. I think I actually think that's a great take of Randall. Is we've got some Randall in us too. We've we've done the hard work and we we're putting up great numbers, but maybe we're not getting the same appreciation that uh, we think we deserve. Or um, yeah, and, and like you said, he's he's trying to help, and 
is he doing it the most ethical way possible? No, but he he I think he has good intentions. He wants to he wants to be better and he wants to keep improving. So And the road to hell is paved with good intentions and that's probably where Randall ended up, kids. Um so that's that's a little dark, but hey, you know, we're that's what this is about. Um who was your favorite uh, acting performance in this? I have a couple written down, but I kind of want to hear what you say first and then shit on it. So you go first. Okay, yeah, fair enough. I kind of figured. Um, so if we're going to go like non-obvious, I really liked Celia, who was Mike's girlfriend. Oh, my God. I am the exact. I have worst. I go, my God, why is Celia's vo-? Jennifer Tilly is the actress's name. Her voice is so annoying. That is so funny because I have just written down like all caps. She's the worst. I we couldn't get any other female voice actress. Like I was. That is hilarious. Continue, though. Yeah, no, I, I loved it. I love like the raspy voice and she's. Um, she's the concerned girlfriend that is left out and as a character she ends up helping out at the end when uh, she grabs the, the phone to distract everyone from um, Randall getting to Sully so um, yeah no I loved her I thought she was I thought she was great that's so funny that <laughs> Mason clearly doesn't understand what this category is about we're not talking about what the characters deeds were in the movie we're talking about if we like their acting voice acting performance her voice is absolute if you were locked in a room with her for 24 hours my god it'd be game over no I would love it I would, I would love every every second of it so um, Celia if you're listening Celia if you're listening um mason ford uh chandler arizona uh hit him up <laughs> and i think my other one would be uh roz i think that's like beautiful that's well done it's iconic uh voicing um and i found out that a man actually did that voice which was interesting so yeah i looked that up as well i just had rob peterson as roz like a had no idea that was a man b he does a great like that's such a perfect character like everyone has like imagined like an HR like older HR person that's like smoked twenty packs a day that's like tired of your shit and it's just so perfect of like Roz was like where's your paperwork and she just absolutely hates it I I loved Roz I had Roz as my best because you know I think we could talk about uh, John Goodman as Sully and Billy Crystal as Mike Wazowski but I mean I think everybody's pretty aware at this point that those guys killed it they were perfect for their roles um especially the way their characters look like in comparison to their voice like billy crystal being a small little green ball basically is like perfect and uh for my worst i did have we already kind of talked about it but i had celia um another one i thought was really good was uh, the abominable snowman i thought he was like really i thought that was kind of a he's only in like one scene but he does a great job yeah, I agree, and I loved uh, the material he was putting out there. He's like, why not the adorable snowman? Um, and I think the the voice delivery was perfect. It's like he's supposed to be this scary guy, but he's really friendly and inviting, and uh, that's kind of what you get out of him. He's also, uh, I looked it up, he's Ham in uh, Toy Story. <laughs> so I was like, oh, and when I heard it, I was like, oh, of course. But talk about like a kind of dynamic voice actor that's like in two of like, I guess multiple because there's been four Toy Stories, but he's in a lot of Pixar's like most successful movies. So it's kind of cool to see him, see him showing up. Um, 
Now we're coming to one of my favorite segments that's a carryover from the Disney one, Critics Corner. We're going to have Mason, who did some recon on some of his favorite reviews out there about Monsters, Inc. Uh, So here we are, Critics Corner. Mason, take it away. Yeah, so in looking up some of the reviews for Monsters, Inc., uh, my favorite place to go is Amazon. Um, And I'm going to start off with uh, this user, LaShonda Renee. She gave it a one-star review. Um, the subject is, what's this? And then her response is, don't know what this is. She just didn't even know what the movie was and how it was uh, a purchase. So I thought that was a good one. Um, this guy, Graham Cookie, said, gave it a one-star review, and he said, here's what happens when you have visitors and allow them to watch your television. They order stuff. I'm not realizing it and you have no way to cancel digital orders once they've done it. So literally had nothing to do with the movie, but he decided this was the place to leave that review. Pretty pretty critical response from him. Seems like he did not enjoy anything going on with the plot of Monsters Incorporated. Yeah, and let's let's talk about his responsibility. You got to you got to that's something that you need to take care of ahead of time. Yeah, it's not the movie's fault. Don't get the movie one star. Like the fact that someone you had some friends over, they bought a movie, and you took, I mean, it probably takes 30 minutes for him to get online, post this review, write one star, like, come on, man, use your time more effectively, at least have a meaningful conversation with your friends, and be like, hey, um, from now on, if you're going to buy a movie at my place, um, can you just run it by me? Yeah, totally agree. What a what a joke. Those. So, you got any more, or is that is that it? Um, that's what I got for now. Mason Ford, bringing the heat as always. Um, so now we're going to need another ad from another sponsor. That way we can keep bringing these to you because we're not made of money. So here's our second ad of the day. Looking for five-star dining in the Monstropolis area? Come to Harry Hauser's, the most romantic date for your monstrous loved one under new management. Okay, so one another Pixar, Pixar OG category for us is how evil is the villain? where we kind of just discuss, is this villain really evil? Like, what's kind of their, what's their goal in this? So we basically, in Monsters, Inc., you have your two villains. You have Randall, who's kind of your company asshole. And you have Mr. Waternoose, who's the kind of corrupt CEO. And as Mason talked about, this movie's kind of class warfare. So Waternoose sits up in his ivory tower and is trying to cheat out the shareholders of Monsters, Inc. and lie to the general public. But at the same time, Monsters, Inc. seems like it's, almost one of the exclusive employers in this world and one of the only places to get a good job and he said he'd do anything to keep his company alive and you got to kind of respect the guy um for that i think i think mr Waternoose is like c minus evil probably um i think he just was kind of so caught up in keeping the company alive that he kind of lost touch with himself whereas in randall i'd give him like b plus evil uh, shout out Steve Buscemi, like for the voice, like kind of a kind of a good voice actor for that kind of scaly character. And I also just think, but as we talked about earlier, you know, he just was trying to be the best, but he's also just kind of a dick to everyone, and especially like his little assistant coworker guy. He basically tortures him every day. So I'd give him more evil than Water News. I would, I would, I think I'd go opposite. I think I would give Water News the more evil um, for a couple reasons. I think we're led to think that Randall's the really evil one and um, the way they set up his character. But I think 
I think Randall's just kind of an asshole more than anything. Um, whereas I think Mr. Waternoose is kind of corrupt. He's running this, like, we don't know if this is an ethical business anyways. Um, and, and maybe in their world it is, but the way it's going. So I think they're both a little, a little evil for sure. Cause Randall's giving into all these kinds of things. Um, yeah, but I would say Waternoose is more evil because he's dealing with the stuff in the background and trying to, um, trying to cheat people out of um of a non-corrupt company so how evil do you think on a like an a to f scale how evil is each of what's what's your score i think water noose is probably like a i'd give him like uh an a evil no he's he's like a b plus and uh randall's i'd say randall's like a c but he's an asshole so you know yeah you got if you're an asshole you deserve a c that's that's our position um the pixar short for this one um if you've never seen it it's pretty amazing the one that came out like right after they released the movie is basically just like mike because they kind of introduced mike has a car but they never use it because of the energy crisis so this pixar short that they did for this one is basically just um mike has an even newer car and he's trying to like screw with it and it's just it doesn't go well and um sully's kind of screwing it all up and he ends up crashing the car it's really great highly recommend checking out every pixar short except for the ones in toy story 4 don't watch those ones because those were garbage but for the most part um check out the pixar shorts related to these movies shout out inside out because the one where the daughter goes on the first date is like one of the funniest things i've ever seen and that's a pretty amazing Pixar short if you haven't seen it. Um, Ma- Mason, we're going to kind of give some final thoughts here. Anything else that's still on your mind as we kind of get towards the end here? Um, you know, there's there's a lot of little things throughout the movie that you just love and you didn't notice growing up. Um, I think there's just so many funny, funny little things. I think uh, 2319 is iconic and it's hilarious. Yeah, I mean, 2319 is like that's something you can like shout out anywhere. Like anytime there's an emergency, like I'm guilty of going to I'm going guilty of going 2319, 2319. Um, I also think like the child detection agency kind of like clowning on the CIA a little bit and like how overkill the CDA is like, there's the sock and they come in with like the little like bomb squad thing. And everyone's like, Oh my God, it's going to be huge. And it's just like this little explosion and they shave what's his face is fur off. Like, for my money, like all the stuff with the CDA is absolutely hilarious. And then Roz being like the head of it, who's just un- been undercover for years is amazing. Yeah. I love that. And I love, yeah, I love how much they play it up. And like, as soon as they hear 2319, there's people crashing through the windows. There's like, and when it happens throughout the movie, they're like jumping on people and like taking them down. <laughs> like they're going to, go out and infect, infect the rest of the world. So um, I, I love how much they play it up. Yeah, I, I also wrote, I had written, written down perfect beginning because I was just watching that movie and I was like, you're immediately introduced into this world of just monsters and now you know exactly there's an energy crisis, like here's what the company does, like Sully's obviously this great scare, Mike's kind of his hype man, like in the first five minutes you're pretty much thrust into this world and it's like it sets everything up perfectly. I think it's one of the best beginnings of any movie where it's like, okay, like I have no questions, like I'm here now, which is hard to do because 
you're it's just a world where monsters are using screens for energy and that could have been messed up and how you deliver that to an audience and i think they set it up so well yeah i definitely agree i think they and they did it so organically too right it's a scene that has nothing to do with any of the characters that you're about to be introduced to um you're you just get an insight into the world they live in and it's this really good understanding and then it comes back full circle too of um why why they have everything going on and how they can better use uh the energy that they have out there i was also this is kind of one of the last things i'll talk about is do you think it's 2020 do you think boo and sully are still like friends like, do you think this has, like, been, like, really emotionally deprecating to her? It's like, oh, yeah, you know what? My best friend is this giant cat-looking thing that uh, lives in this world comprised of monsters. But we hang out. He's good people. Yeah, I thought about that, too. Is like, this is a unique experience where you're meeting this thing that uh, is meant to just scare you and go away and you forget about it kind of thing. Um but I thought about that, too, of, like, when he enters her room again and he says, boo, and, like, what do you what do? You do? What do you talk about? Do you play? Like, she's going to grow up into this young woman who's not going to be living in that, that house anymore. You know, things change, people change. How do you maintain that relationship? Because it is important. I think it's almost – Monsters University is just total garbage, and I wish they wouldn't have done it. But if they were going to do a sequel – I, which we didn't even talk about how god-awful Monsters University is. God damn it, Pixar. You've done so well with sequels, Toy Stories 2. You guys have been killing it. And then you start putting out in the late 2000s, Cars 2 happens, and you guys just become these money grabbers, and we hate it. But if you were going to do a successful sequel, you should have done kind of almost like what Toy Story did, where it's like, hey, kids growing up, and like Sully's no longer like Sully's still like oh Boo's a kid to me, but she's not anymore, and she's different, and maybe she's angsty, and she's like I don't want to hang out with you anymore, like blah blah blah. And we could have kind of done where Boo's basically Andy and Woody is Sully kind of situation. I think that would have been way more successful to me than being like, what if they went to college together? Yeah, and I get like it's meant to be a prequel, and like dive further into uh sully and mike's relationship but i think boo is so important boo changes the the course of the monster universe like she changes how energy she's changed a whole um she's created an energy solution one one child one child's laugh can save the world people and that's one thing we want to leave you with is children's laughter is the real joy of life yeah, and that's really beautiful, and you can't beat it. You can't beat it, and we we can't beat it, and that's what we're gonna leave you with because that that was poetry. I'm crying. Talk about tear jerkers. I'm crying. Um, I just want to give a special shout out to Mason Ford FaceTiming in from Phoenix and doing it, doing this with me. Um, we've kind of been talking about doing a Pixar one for a while. weren't really sure kind of how we wanted to break into the Pixar universe, and I think. Monsters Inc. was one of my favorite. It came out right when we were like in kindergarten, first grade. So, uh, one of our favorites. And uh, anything you want to leave the people with, Mason? No, I just want to thank you for having me on, uh, letting me dive into the movie again and enjoy all the 
um, intricacies of the movie and, and getting to be a kid again for, for an afternoon. So I appreciate it. That's what this podcast is all about, being a kid again. Um, thanks for listening, guys. And uh, next week, um, not really sure what we're going to do yet, but we're going to try to switch it up a little bit again and uh, not try to get in the lull of 90s Disney movies. So uh, we'll see you next week. Thanks again for listening.